Well, thanks, George, and thank you, everybody, for being here tonight and joining us as we continue this series in Ecclesiastes. You know, this week we enter this first chapter where it really hits this introduction to the whole letter, and as introductions go, this is a pretty profound introduction and a hard one. Really, right off the bat, the, we want to see that the, well, the, the author here wants us to see that life is pointless. Vanity under the sun. Everything is vanity, as George read. What does this mean? Right, right away, we're left with this image or this impression that everything is ultimately just empty. There's an inevitability to the world that we live in. There's an emptiness to this world that we live in. There's a constant repeating of things over and over with no point. He gives these pictures of it, right? That the sea is always being filled up but is never full. What is the gain of all of this labor, of all of this work? Everything keeps on going with or without us again and again on repeat, right? This kind of treadmill of life just over and over. That there's a pointlessness to it all. Right, and it gives these kind of three main thrusts there in the opening of everything being forgotten. Right, every person is forgotten. Everything is forgotten. Everything in this world is tired, a deep weariness to our existence, and that everything also is old. There is nothing new. We're destined to repeat everything that has come before. This constant cycle of history we are a people that, is, that are destined to be forgotten, to be tired, and to get old. And it feels pretty pointless. It's an unhappy business, the author says, what God has given us. This life in this earth is an unhappy life. We toil and we labor with no point. Our efforts don't make us happy. We try all of these things and none of them satisfy or make us happy. And if we're honest, right, we all can really relate with the author of Ecclesiastes. I mean, these experiences are really true. Many of us have experienced this at this point in your life where you have been forgotten. You used to think of yourself as a big deal, and all of a sudden you realize that nobody remembers you the way that they thought. Or you have watched loved ones in your life become forgotten, or you have even forgotten people who used to matter to you. Like you just this wave of forgetting the world just forgets. People come, people die, and they are forgotten. Very, very few are ever remembered. And if they are, it's just for a brief moment until we don't remember them anymore. We all experience this weariness of toil, right? This toil that's so weary, right? Like, can a man even utter it? Right? Like, this weariness of going and doing the same thing every day. Here we go again. This tired experiences of life. And we've all experienced that hopeless cycle of repeating history, caught in this rep repetition again and again and again, unable to stop, unable to do things new. We've given ourselves to our work and not found happiness, but rather great disappointment, great vexation, great sorrow. So the we really have to ask the question then of you know, why does this author want to start with this? This is the opening salvo. 
this is the introduction to wisdom, that everything is pointless. And this author describes himself, right? And the word is koheleth, which means preacher or teacher. He wants to call himself a preacher. And he describes himself as the son of David, a king of Jerusalem, right? I mean, most likely this is Solomon himself who is giving us this wisdom. It's not just anyone. It's somebody who's speaking from incredible experience and from an incredible place of knowledge. Otherwise, we may be quick to dismiss someone like this. If someone comes up to us and just tells us everything is pointless and meaningless, you may say, well, they just must not have lived a very good life. This is coming from somebody who has had the ultimate life that's to be had, and he's going to explain it as the book goes. And this opening, that's just, I mean, the son of David, that's a big deal. If you're looking biblically, a phrase like that is promised child-esque, right? This is it. This is a big deal. This man has seen things, understands things, and he wants to start out by just telling us everything is pointless and empty. Wisdom is hard. We talked about that last week. It's hard to live in wisdom, to walk in wisdom. It's an initial high bar to become wise. The path of foolishness has a very low bar initially, and it gets harder the way you, as you go. The path of wisdom has a very high initial bar, and it gets easier as you go. And he hits us really hard right off the bat with a very high bar to understand Wisdom is going to come with vexation and sorrow. We need to be vexed. We need to sorrow. We need to lament. We need to see things the way that they are, not just the way that they're supposed to be. True wisdom needs to be honest. True wisdom is going to reflect our complex realities, right? Otherwise, it's not going to be wisdom unless it reflects our complicated and contradictory lives and experiences, our hopes and our disappointments. And so what the author here, the preacher, is calling us to is really calling us to a very honest and holy skepticism to the world. Right off the bat, he wants us to be skeptical. The author wants us, is calling us to be disappointed, that we should be disappointed with the world. We should be disappointed or will not live honest lives unless we experience disappointment and vexation. Because if we have that perspective, it creates in us, if we've experienced that disappointment like the author has, it creates a healthy skepticism. We look around this world and what it offers and promises us, and we doubt that the things of this world will ever make us happy. This Healthy skepticism, it dulls our tastes for the things of this world. Without this disappointment, without this skepticism, we're just going to act like everybody else in the world, constantly striving, toiling for things that will never come. This honesty with the way the world is will gets us off of that treadmill of just constant striving, constant toiling for nothing. And this skepticism that the author is calling us to, a healthy and honest skepticism and view of the world, it actually creates an attractive and beautiful life in us. The author is calling us to live lives that, are, that have depth to them, that have substance to them, that have a seriousness to them. Not just a everything is great, Christianity is so wonderful, everything is good, type of life, but a life 
that's real, a life that has a sober-mindedness. We see the world rightly when we have this perspective that Koheleth is calling us to have. When we're sober-minded, then we can actually evaluate the world. We can look at our culture and our world. We can evaluate things like work, politics, family, the social issues that are going on. We're not so easily caught up in all of these things. We're not invested as much, so we can be serious about life. We can be serious about things and the world around us. We can evaluate our world and our culture from a healthy distance since we're not caught up in it. But this healthy skepticism that Koheleth is calling us to also gives us freedom and joy because we can also now rightly see ourselves in all of this. We can enjoy the good things that God has given rather than use them to make a name for ourselves. We aren't trying so hard with this type of skepticism. We're not trying so hard to be the smartest, the holiest, the most successful, the best at everything. Rather than escaping the world, we can now enjoy the world. We don't take the world that seriously and we don't take ourselves that seriously any longer. We're skeptical of the world and we're skeptical of ourselves. Which frees us now, which frees us to critique the world and to critique ourselves, to be honest with the world and to be honest with ourselves because we're free from it. And we're free to enjoy the things of the world and the things of our culture because we aren't trying to make a name for ourselves with all these things. This call that Koheleth is calling us to right in the beginning and through the book is a call to live properly ordered lives where everything is in its place, where we enjoy God's gifts without looking for God's gifts to satisfy us. We enjoy our work, but without needing our work. And this comes from realizing how pointless it is to pursue happiness and satisfaction in the things of this world. That's the starting. That's that hurdle he lays out for us right at the beginning. We have to start by saying, none of these things ultimately matter. We will not find our happiness and joy in anything this world has. It won't satisfy. From that develops wisdom. Now, the hard part about wisdom, wisdom is really straightforward. Ecclesiastes is really straightforward. It's not hard to read. It's not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand what he's trying to say. The hard part about wisdom is actually living it out as true. We can hear it. We can agree with it. We know this is true in our minds, but to actually come to grips with wisdom and live as if this wisdom is true is hard. It's very hard to do. Luke Ferry, who's a French philosopher, Tim Keller quotes him a lot in various things. He's a secular French philosopher who writes in his introduction to, to Western thought. He, he says that there are some truths that are just too existentially hard for people to believe. This is one of them that everything is pointless and nothing will make you happy. Okay, we can get there reasonably. I can, I can understand and agree to that and say, okay, I could, I could buy that. There's no amount of money that will ever make you happy. Okay, sure. There's no amount of work that you can do that will ever actually make you happy. I get it. My fa- yep, no matter how perfect my family is, it will never really fully satisfy me. Yep, okay, I can get there. But I can't really get there. Because that's too hard of a truth to accept. There are some truths that are just too hard 
to actually put into practice so we just choose not to. If life is pointless, then what are all of us doing? Why do I go to work? Why am I in relationships that I'm in? Why do I have my family? What, what am I supposed to be doing then if this is all pointless? When we look around, it sure looks like everybody is still constantly on that treadmill of life. Right? Why is this? Why can't we get off the treadmill? Right? Why can't we believe Koheleth that none of the things of this world will satisfy us? It's too hard of a truth. I think we have a couple of particular challenges in believing this wisdom and accepting it. And these challenges would have been true, certainly from the time Koheleth wrote it, you know, over 2,000 years ago to today as well. But, you know, in our modern culture in particular, it seems like there's a couple of harder challenges to accepting this. I think the one is, especially here in our time and place, we really like to be happy. And a challenge to my happiness, I'm not on board with. I want to be happy. I want to feel good. And I don't want to feel sad. And we have a lot of ways to avoid feeling sad. And if that means just avoiding hard conversations or topics, looking at things honestly, I will do it. If it means medicating or numbing or watching TV, whatever. If, if you're offering me something that's going to make me feel good, I'm going to take that because we're addicted to feeling good, to feeling happy. We like to be happy. Especially as Christians, we have this addiction to happiness. The happier we are, the more godly we are, the more holy we are, the more blessed we are. We just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And so we have a really hard time talking about pointlessness, (laughs) talking about sorrow, lamenting, We avoid being disappointed. We don't have the practice or experience of lamenting. Right? Our culture just doesn't do this very well. Grieving. It feels foreign and difficult for us to talk about our disappointments, let alone with God, ourselves, with others, anything. Right? It feels like there's something wrong with me if I express that I'm disappointed if I express that things are not working out the way that I had hoped, to grieve loss, to experience loss. It just doesn't feel natural. I should be expressing happiness. So that first challenge is that we love to be happy. I think the second challenge is that we really feel that we're exceptional. You know, especially modern Western exceptionalism is real. It's hard not to believe that I'm special. I get it that not everyone can be satisfied, but I'm not everyone. The life I'm choosing to live is an exceptional life. It's different than everyone else's life. Look, my church model's different. My life is different. My work is different. I'm going to, the way I'm doing it is going to actually be one in which it will be fulfilling and I'll find satisfaction and joy. We feel like we're the exception. People tell us, right, money doesn't make you happy. And you say, well, I I agree with you, but I would be the exception. If I had it, I would somehow find happiness there. We just don't really believe that we're like everybody else. We like to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. 
So we're addicted to being happy and we're addicted to feeling and thinking that we're special. So we end up then living very inconsistent lives, knowing on the one hand that nothing in this world will satisfy us, but still trying to be satisfied by this world, throwing ourselves into our work, into our family, into religion, and then we're constantly blindsided when those things disappoint us. We're thrown off. Everything is wrong. We waste our disappointments rather than leverage them into a greater joy. When we experience disappointment, we shrug it off, we move on to something else. We don't experience the joy that God has for us through our disappointments, through our pain, and through suffering. So how do we get off this treadmill? And Koheleth is bringing us into this life of wisdom. How do we get out of this disconnect, this inconsistency of knowing one thing but living another? How do we get to this place where we can live honest and joyful lives that God is calling us to? Well, the only way that we're going to be able to do this is we're going to have to be able to find our joy and satisfaction, our happiness somewhere where it won't disappoint us any longer. Because if nothing in the world can make us happy, if that truth is true, then that leaves us with a few options. If nothing can make us happy, we can either choose to ignore that truth and just keep trying. That would be the Luke Ferry option, right? The secular option. Just forget that reality and put your head in the sand and just keep going. It's just too hard to believe. The other option is we can give up completely on trying to be satisfied by the things of the world and just leave the world, live very otherworldly and say, yes, and that's why I am disconnected from the things of the world. This is why I don't have nice things because I don't want to be around worldly stuff and I'm completely away from the world. That's the other option. Right? Koheleth, the author directs us to this third option or this middle path where we can actually find happiness from the source of happiness. That we can go directly to the source of joy to actually have joy. Why is it necessary for us to go through the disappointments of life? Why is it necessary for Koheleth for us to understand disappointment on the front end before we can get to wisdom? Why do we have to be so disappointed? So that we will find the one thing that will never disappoint. If we're never disappointed in the things of this world, we would never find God. The promise of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end is this picture of God being with us. Despite ourselves, and this is, we went through the Pentateuch there for a year and a half, right? Despite Israel's efforts, God was with them. Despite ourselves, God is with us. Despite how often we disregard God and we turn away from him, he is with us. Despite our efforts at control, God is with us. Despite our failures and mistakes, God is with us. Despite how often I am a fool and walk down a path of foolishness, God is with me. This foundational and life-changing truth runs through Ecclesiastes through the whole Bible, and it's that God is with us. He is with us, and he loves us. And we know this because of Jesus Christ. 
God proved his love and his nearness to us by sending his son. That no matter what happens in this life, God is near to us. And what that truth does for Koheleth and for us, right, is it produces then an experiential joy of just being with God, even in lament, even in sorrow and disappointment. I have equal access to the source of happiness, to the source of joy. It's no longer a shallow and superficial joy. My circumstances have changed and I am now happy, but now I have access to a deep-seated experiential joy. The only way to find joy in a world with nothing that can bring lasting joy is to tap into the very source of joy itself. Believing that God is with us in every circumstance, in every hope, in every disappointment, in every joy itself. So what does this look like then for us? What does this path of wisdom look like then to believe that God is actually with us all the time and satisfying us and meeting our needs? Well, it looks then like these honest lives that the wisdom literature is trying to call us to. And that's really the point of the series for us as a church. And how do we live lives that are honest in this culture and in this world that reflect God's order in creation and that reflects the reality of sin and the reality of God's grace? How do I live honestly? I trust and believe that God is near to me. Abiding in him, practically seeking happiness and joy in Christ. We have so many daily opportunities for this. So many opportunities where we can seek our happiness from Christ and not from our circumstances. Where we can bring to God our disappointments. Seeing our disappointments and the pointlessness, being tired, not as things to be avoided. Because that's how we treat it. Weariness, disappointed, tired, old, all forgotten, all of those feelings as things that are the worst and should just be forgot, for avoided and not talked about, but rather to see these as opportunities to come to the Lord and to find satisfaction and joy in Christ. Many of us need to work on this muscle of bringing our disappointments and our sorrows and lamenting and being honest with God. It also means being honest with others, honest in communities, where the communities of Christ, right, as believers, and this is what Israel was called to and we are called to as well as the church, where we practice together joy, where we practice lamenting, we practice these things. We have to work on developing both of these muscles together. Some of us, like I said, have got to work on practicing and working out those lamenting muscles because that doesn't come naturally to us, depending on our upbringing and understandings, and we always just want to be happy. Some of us have got to work on sorrow. Others of us have got to work on enjoyment, (laughs) are too easily caught up in sorrow and lament but that there's still enjoyment even in the midst of sorrow. We need to work on both as communities. We need to become honest communities where we speak freely and comfortably of our disappointments and our pains, and we also enjoy the blessings that God has given and worship and rejoice together. 
we need to not waste our disappointments, but rather see the disappointments of this world as the invitation that God is giving us to walk in wisdom. Being disappointed doesn't mean that there is something wrong with us. Being disappointed is to be human because this world is disappointing because we were not made for this world, but we were made for God. Disappointments are the beginning of wisdom and a means by which to bring us into a deeper and more lasting joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being near to us. And Lord, we thank you for the disappointments of this world. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have made it so that we cannot be satisfied. Lord, outside of anything but you. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen us to walk in wisdom. We recognize that to seek you and to see you as our only source of joy and satisfaction and hope is hard and a difficult task, But which is why we're so thankful that we have you and your spirit in us to strengthen us. Lord, you tell us to ask and that you will give. So Lord, we ask that you will help us and strengthen us in this task of walking in you, of walking in wisdom. Lord, strengthen us as a community to be honest with you, honest with our sorrows and our disappointments, to support one another in it, and also to be enjoying life and enjoying you uh, together as well. Lord, help us to hold these in tension as we walk in this world as sojourners, just eagerly awaiting your your arrival and our ultimate home. 